0: We are in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. The message is simply entitled, Citizens. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us, that you have given us your word that we might know how we ought to walk, and then you've given us the Holy Spirit that we might have the power to walk and be found faithful. Lord, in these days, as we look at the trouble around the world, we certainly think these are the last times. And yet you've said even in those times, We're to look up. We see these things coming to pass because our redemption draws nigh. But Lord, however much time we have left, Lord, I pray that you would find us faithful, that you would challenge our hearts, make it so clear to us in our own personal decisions, Lord, that we would live faithfully, righteously, and godly in this present world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Politicians love to use fear. Now, I'm kind of thankful. I'm kind of living in uh, bliss right now because we decided we want to afford television anymore. So we cut off the cable, the satellite, however it came in. And so I don't have to watch all those commercials that you probably have to watch if just watching just anything. You know, they come on and they use fear. And they don't care if they lie to you because it's not a lie if you believe it, right? But it's fear and if this candidate gets in all oh, these terrible things are going to happen and the other that candidate says oh no if the other candidate gets in and so they don't care how they get your vote but fear is their main motivation the same thing is true in all of religion outside of biblical christianity it's fear you better do this or else and yet the bible teaches it's a theme for our church it has been for 30 years 2nd Timothy 1:7 god has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a disciplined mind. In other words, you can see what's going on around you and you can still make a decision that honors God in spite of everything else. We're not driven, not not, not to be driven by fear. Now we can be. Maybe you're listening to too much Rush right now or Sean or Bill or whoever you listen to. You don't have to. I think it's good to be informed. I think we ought to be informed citizenry to listen to what the candidates actually say they're for. That ought to give you some enlightenment who you vote for. This country was founded upon the word of God and its constitution was founded upon what the Bible says that men are basically evil, not good. That's why we wanna have a balance of powers and not just a king. So if somebody says they're against the constitution or they say it this way, well, we just need to have the Constitution reflect who we are today. Oh, that's bad. But you know, folks, we have the government that we deserve. That's who we are. You say, well, hold it. I'm not. No, maybe you aren't that, but as a people, we have what we voted for. This last week, we had John here from Africa, very close, dear friend of Bob and Heidi's, And he graduated from, uh, he came from Africa, went to the University of Colorado State University, and he graduated, and now he's back doing work in his home country. And so he came and shared, and he said, as he comes back to the United States, he sees that people seem to be more and more burdened. He said, and you have, you're a country that has so much, and yet he sees this sadness, this weight. Well, there's a verse that talks about that. It says in Proverbs 29.2, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, people groan. doesn't matter how much you have. If you have wicked government, wicked rulers, it just is a heaviness because they don't seek for God's wisdom and God's help. And just so you know, we probably won't be singing the, the star-spangled banner in heaven, Right? We sing a song that talks about God's favorite nation, and some people are like, whoa, is, is that, you talking about America? No, no, no. God's favorite nation is the nation of people that he's called from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group. That's God's nation. The one that he died for, the one that he's cleansed. And that's why, as believers in the church, this should be the most peaceful time of gathering because people from every tribe, every tongue, and that's the joy we have in Laramie we have people from all over the world that come and they worship with us. What a joy. Fear divides people. It brings chaos. But I want you to know that God is not worried about the election, and so you shouldn't be either. Jesus is not running for affirmation or election for people. He's going to sit on the throne, and he is bringing things to conclusion. Now, we can look at the Bible and tell where we are, unless God gives a revival supernaturally. The Bible says in Psalm 917, the wicked will be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. We certainly are a people that have forgotten God. We can't even pray in times of trouble. Our government leaders say, well, take a time of silence. What does that mean? There's no hope in silence. Well, they don't want to offend anybody. We know where this nation is going. But you know, there's still hope. The Assyrian nation was a wicked nation. And its capital was Nineveh. And God sent them a reluctant prophet that didn't even want them to repent, and yet God sent a revival. Read the book of Jonah. Jonah was mad, When everybody repented, and all he did, I can't imagine the enthusiasm he went through town. God said, because remember, he ran away, got swallowed by a great fish. Finally, God spit him up, but he wasn't totally repentant, but he went and did what God told him to do. Repent, judgment's coming, repent. I can't imagine the enthusiasm he had. And yet, the message got through to their heart, and from the oldest to the youngest, including the king, they repented in sackcloth and ashes, and God withheld his judgment. So no matter what the government is, God can bring revival. But while we are citizens here, as children of God, we have double citizenship. We have citizens here in the country that you are born in. For most of us, that's the United States of America, a country that I love, and a country as A military man, I promise to defend its constitution and follow orders even if it meant my own death because I love my country. But we're also citizens of heaven. And that's a permanent deal. But the Bible says, while you're here, Romans 13, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And he was writing to people that lived under the heel of the Roman government. They had in those days what we call in history Pax Romana, Roman peace. That means you do what we tell you or we crush you out of existence. Nice government. But God ordained that government to be in power. And whether it's Putin or our president, God puts those people in power and he says, you as believers, you have a responsibility And God gives you help to be the best citizens that you can be. Now, when the government tells you to do something that's against God's law, that's a higher principle. You obey God rather than men. Remember, they they drew Peter and John in there, and they said, don't you preach this anymore. We're telling you. They threatened them. They beat them. Don't preach this way anymore. Don't preach about this Jesus. And Peter said, whether it be right in your sight or not, We're going to keep preaching because we would rather obey God than man. But then when they were persecuted, you didn't see the Christians out protesting or causing riot. Why? Because we know that our God is in control even of evil governors. And he can cause a terrorist like the Apostle Paul to come to Christ or a wicked, ruthless ruler like Nebuchadnezzar to come to know God as his Savior. God can do that. And that gives us as his children this this place of confidence in spite of opposition, in spite of the threat of persecution or loss of our freedoms or our goods that like the Christians in Hebrews chapter 11, we can joyfully accept the loss of our property. Joyfully, how come? Because they can't touch it. They can't touch our real inheritance. But we need reminding. We need reminding. I watched the debate this last week. I, I really try to avoid those because my, my kids are grown, so I don't have to listen to them argue anymore, and I don't really like listening to adults argue like children. So, but I watched it because I want to be informed. But, you know, after I watch those things and I see where our country is going and, and where it's already come, I need to crawl up on a rock. I need to get my perspective again. I need reminding. Like some of us when we go hunting, I'm used to having the mountains west of me. I grew up in Wheatland. The mountains were west of me. And here in Laramie, the mountains that count are west. There's some there too, but that's Colorado. And that's where I have my bearings. But when you go hunting and you get in the middle of those mountains, all of a sudden they're all around you. And the the best, most seasoned hunter, every once in a while, get turned around. So what do you do? you crawl up on a rock. David is always calling God his high tower. He's always running to the rock that was higher than he was. So he could get up and get God's perspective on things and that's what we need on a regular basis to recognize that God is still in control. No matter what wicked governments do, what they plot, what they foam out against God, Psalm 2, God's not worried. It says there, he that sits in the heavens laughs. And so we don't have to walk around angry and bitter either because our God is still God and he is still ruling. And so verse 1, Paul says to Titus, remind these people, remind them of what they already know, but remind them again to be good citizens. Verse 1, remind them to be subject to rulers. Now, when we were growing up, I don't remember too much about the 50s when I was born, but in the 60s and 70s, we live in a country that still believed pretty much in right and wrong. But now it's upside down, isn't it? But these people here lived under a foreign government. It's like if Russia was in charge here now, and he's telling them, you be subject to that foreign government. Recognize that God can remove them anytime He wants and bring a worse one in. You be subject. You be good citizens. You be subject to rulers. And listen, there were some despotic rulers. Just read Roman history. Wicked, wicked men. And they used taxes for their own good, not for the good of the people. You remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. And to be ready for every good deed. This foreign government. Recognize that God put them there. And they bring order. He goes on to say in Romans chapter 13. Those are ministers for good. They bring a certain amount of order. Now we've seen where we as United States have thought we knew better. And we went and removed leaders like Saddam Hussein. Thinking oh they're wicked. Yeah he might have been wicked. But what we got was worse. There is no perfect government until Jesus Christ himself rules on this earth, and one day he's going to do that. You know, it says in Matthew, I think, verse, chapter 20, verse 12, that when Jesus comes, it was prophesied of him, he wouldn't quench the smoking flax, and he wouldn't break the bruised reed. And I think part of that application there is that Jesus was not distracted but he kept his eye on exactly what was was important until he fulfilled all of God's will. It's so easy when there's a candle that you blow out and it just sits there and it's smoking and it's not as pretty as it was when it was giving off its flavor. You just go over and go like that. Don't be distracted by the things that are going on. You say, but it's right. I should be involved politically to bring about a better system. First of all, you're not able to do that. And if God calls you to run for politics, then by all means run for politics. But in the meantime, don't be worried about it. Don't be distracted by it from what you're really here supposed to be. And that is a light of the grace of God, reflecting His grace and His truth and His gospel to people that are around you. Not only remind them to be good citizens by being available for every good work, in other words, paying your taxes even if you don't agree with where they're going or how much they, they are, God is able to provide. Do you know that? You can get all upset. Well, if that happens, we'll have nothing left. Well, then God will give you a different occupation. He'll offer, and He'll move you where you need to be. But the promise is, you cannot give the Lord, and they cannot tax God because his, his bank is so huge. you know he just called these things into existence. He just said, let there be light. There was an explosion of light. And then he gave the light bearers and all the beauty and the order that he's given in this world and the fact that he is holding the atoms together by the power of his will today. One day he's going to take his hands off. The Bible says this is all going to pass away with a loud noise and a fervent heat. It's going to be nuclear fission, gone. Gone. But until that day, there's going to be seasons, no matter what the global warming people tell you, there's going to be seasons, there's going to be harvest and winter and spring and summer. Because God said so. But you see, that's why people in political arenas get so mad because this is their final destination. They get all worked up about, what if we get global warming in 5,000 years, life will cease to exist. I got news for you. I don't think it's going to last that long. But it's not going to be from global warming except for that extreme warming that God brings. But this is it for them, and that's why they get so angry and so passionate because it's all about what they are here. See, our responsibility is to make sure that we live faithfully so as much as we can, we leave an opportunity for those that follow to also live faithfully. Other than that, we really have no control. And the sooner you recognize that, the more peace you're going to have. Remind them to be good neighbors. To malign no one. Listen, you don't have to live very long, and you can get on your neighbor. Maybe your rancher they steal your water. You know, I know Doug had a neighbor that stole his water, and he lived in town. You charge a lot of water in town if you're watering your lawn, and there's the hose. Huh, water in his lawn. So we prayed. <laughs> Remind them to, to be good neighbors, to mind no one. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be ignorant. You know, we have a lot of information out there to make a decision about Voting. And I hear some Christians say, well, I'm just not going to vote. That is not a place of superiority. It's not a place of, of spiritual uh, eliteness, not voting. You have a responsibility as a citizen of this country to make sure that you do everything in your power to vote about righteousness. Not about what some candidate says they're going to give you, but where they stand on the issues of life, like abortion and our Constitution. Now, I don't know who's going to win. God does. He wants us to be faithful in spite of what we think the outcomes might be. We're called to faithfulness. When I was visiting uh, PJ in Japan, he was stationed over there in Sasebo, and I'd flown through Japan. You know, saw the airport and flew on to Thailand. But we got to stay this time. We went to Sasebo. What a beautiful country, beautiful. And where PJ lived in the city. The mountains are surrounding you, and they run right down into the beautiful Emerald Sea. It's just gorgeous there. And the first Sunday we're there, all of a sudden there's this loudspeaker. Everybody can hear him. I'm like, oh, what is that, you know? Speaking Japanese, I had no idea. Welcome to Japan, Paul. No, they didn't say that. I said, Peach, what's that? He said, oh, well, on a regular basis, they have right next to the road, most of the roads, there are these, you know, two- or three-foot concrete uh, canals that run along so they can drain all the water they get in that tropical environment and so there's always neighborhood cleanup and if you're a good neighbor when they make the announcement you come out come out with your neighbors and you help clean the ditches out so that nobody floods i thought isn't that something that's so nice what a gracious country i mean it was i've never seen a country so gracious as japan there was some road work at one place and it blew me away because The policeman that was there directing traffic, he stopped us, and then he bowed. And then it was time for us to go. He waved us on as we went by. He bowed again. It was so impressive, so gracious. They have a culture. They're so gracious. The problem is they don't have the Lord. They don't have the Lord. I'm afraid sometimes as Christians, we're not as concerned about our opportunity to share the gospel as we are, just our opportunity to be comfortable if we can just be comfortable in our day. That's what Hezekiah said. He brought Nebuchadnezzar in and showed him all the treasures because he thought he'd be friends with them. And God said, because you've done this, you haven't trusted me. You thought you'd do it with your little treaties. All this stuff's going to be carried away and your children too. And what is Hezekiah's word? Well, as long as there's peace in my day. Oh, what an attitude. I don't need to vote. As long as, long as I, you know, it's okay for me. It's not going to happen for a long time. No, no, we're called to be good neighbors. We're called to malign no one. Again, that doesn't mean we have to act like we don't know what's going on. We can see what's truth and who's lying and and we can make decisions based upon that, but we're not to malign them. We're not to speak evil of the king or the president. To be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. The Bible says in Proverbs 19.11, the discretion of a man defers his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. How can you do that? Because you consider the source. We talked last week about Romans chapter 8, and that those that don't know God cannot submit to his law they can't. They don't, they don't recognize his law, and they can't submit to it. They don't have the potential because they have no grace. So stop expecting people to act righteously when they don't have Christ. Romans twelve seventeen b and 18 say, Respect was right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as depends upon you, be at peace with all men. I like to walk, and especially in the summer before the wind starts blowing 100. And uh, I was walking one day crossing the intersection at McDonald's on 30th, crossing over towards Burger King to continue my route down the uh, north side of the street. And I swear this guy tried to run me over. I hope it wasn't you because I didn't get their license plate. And I know what happens there that people come on to Grand and they say it's time to put the hammer down. They're not paying attention to what's going on because I clearly had the little walk guy. Walk. Now, I could have continued my walk because I had the right and become pavement. I wouldn't have live to tell about it, but this big old diesel uh, white, if you're out there, white (laughs) Dodge with welding gear on just was like I was walking and I was looking and I was looking and pretty soon I sprinted because he put it down like he was aiming for me I, to give him the benefit of the doubt I saw it was a guy that's all I know Chris said you should have taken a picture yeah while I was running for my life <laughs> he probably was looking at his phone or something more important and just you turn that corner and that's why the police just so you know our guardians for good sit up there in the parking lot of Murdoch's and wait for you to hit 45 before you get to the bank because that's the only place that turns 45, at the bank, not at the corner where McDonald's is. But he was going for it, and I was almost paid the penalty. Now, people cut us off in traffic. It looks like they do it on purpose, and we can be like the world and be angry and bitter and drive mad. Or you can just say, hey, not a big deal, especially if it's traffic in Laramie. Come on. The worst day of traffic is game day. It's not that bad. I know I've been in worse places. California. Look on a map. Oh, from here to San Diego, from Los Angeles, Oh, it's just like this far. Four hours later. Right? Washington, D.C. I drove... Because because until I am E5, we had to live way far away. Nobody would rent to somebody under E5, and they didn't have government housing for us because they said they didn't issue us a wife. So I had to drive a long ways, and it took me a half hour in the morning to drive in. It took me three hours at night to go home. It's not that bad here. But the world thinks it is. They're angry about everything. And so we have to stop expecting them to be different. And begin to remember, verse 3, our own history. Paul says, remind them of your own history, how you used to be. Remind them. Remember how you used to be. Don't expect them to be like you. They don't have grace. We were also foolish ourselves. We were disobedient. We were deceived. Right? Don't get angry because people have a different opinion about what's important in life, they're deceived. The Bible says Satan is a liar and a deceiver from the very beginning. And if they don't belong to Christ, they're under his authority to think exactly what he tells them to think, Ephesians chapter two. They have to, they're slaves. Disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. And because of that, because we're deceived because we're slaves in the old life, we spent our life in malice and envy and hate and hating one another. It's just the way life is done. Now, just, I'm not against contractors, but just take contractors, for instance. If you've done any building in Laramie, and Laramie's just the same as every place else. You can't talk to one contractor about another without having this contractor run that contractor down. That's just the way life is. It's called They call it competition. And if you say, well, I'm going to use that contract, they'll say, well, you're stealing from me. No, you're not. You just chose a different contract. You're not stealing from them. But then they, they're required to hate you. And how do a lot of people get things done? By being angry. So don't respond to them the same way. You call the contractor that said he was going to be there Monday, and he chews you out for calling because he didn't keep his word. That's fine. Get another contractor. We're doing this building. And we got got an estimate that was like huge more than what they said it was going to be. So, oh, well, we have a question about this. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm not doing any of your work. I'm like, whoa. Because that's how they're used to getting it done. Get angry at people. Get them going the way you need to go. Don't mess with me. You do what I want you to do. That's how the world does business. They just operate in malice and anger. We said, okay, so we got into the contract. By the end of the day, he was calling people because it didn't work on us. You know, my dad taught me, never turn down a resignation. Okay, you don't want to, okay, that's fine. In the Meantime, they called other people in town and they said, don't work for those guys. Why? They were trying to channel us back in that we had to work with them. And now we've learned a lesson. Don't make that guy mad. You do exactly what he says. You pay whatever he says. And we said, no, we don't have to do that. We belong to the Lord. But I'm not angry at that person. That's the world. You say, well, I know some people that are not like that. You squeeze them right. That's who they, they are. There's no option for them. People have to use bitterness as their defense so they build walls and they're bitter. How do you know that, Paul? Based upon the word of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter three, Paul was quoting the Old Testament. He says, God does a check on the anatomy of man and he peels back the skin and he says, you know, They always speak lies. Their feet are always eager to run to mischief and evil. Under their lips is the poison of asps. The way of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. They have a whole different operating system than you do. But remember, that used to be you. I don't care if you grew up in Sunday school. Some of us may think, "Oh, well, I grew up in Sunday school, didn't take as much of the grace." Oh, no, 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 you were a rotten, lost, wretched sinner. It took just as much grace of God to save you as it did some guy that was lost on drugs at the bottom of culture. Just as much grace. That was you. That was me. They operated in hate. Isaiah 57, 20 says, The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. Whose waters cast up mire and dirt, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Okay, so we understand that we used to be like that. We shouldn't expect them to be different. We shouldn't expect righteous decisions from a wicked government. But how do we continue to operate? Because we have the potential for a holy imagination. He said, remind them of the power of the gospel. Verse 4 through 6. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. That's all one sentence. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Just take a moment, that, that, that person that you say, whether they're running for office or they're your neighbor, your boss, or that person that just is so vile against God, and just use your gospel vision and your gospel imagination and think, what if God saved them? So oh, I don't think that's possible. See, you, you don't understand the grace of God. You, you, even as a believer, you don't really understand the power that's at your disposal to share with people. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God and the salvation. And he said in 2 Corinthians 4, we don't preach ourselves here, but Jesus Christ as Lord, him crucified. That's what we share. That's the gospel. Just before Paul got saved, the Bible says he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter. He wasn't getting nicer. Sometimes we say, oh, I think that person's really getting close. We have no idea. They may be adjusting their morals for a little bit, but eventually it's going to break. We don't know. You can look at somebody and become a judge of evil intentions, like it says in James, thinking, well, they're never going to get saved when they're this close because God sees their heart. Here's Paul breathing out threatenings and slaughter, and Jesus said, all right, you're, that's enough. You're mine. He said, Paul, it's really hard for you to kick against the bricks as I'm goading you along this salvation road, isn't it? And Paul had one question. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. You now belong to me. And his life changed right there. It changed. Nobody had to massage him and talk him into being obedient to Scripture and, oh, give him some counseling so he could become a better Christian. His life changed. His whole foundation of life was different. New life He now had the DNA of Jesus Christ because God reached down and saved him. And the same thing could be true of your neighbor. So use your discretion and pass over their transgressions. Return grace and love instead of the bitterness that they're pouring out on you. And just trust that God might use that. He said, remind them of the power of the gospel. God is able to save to the uttermost. There's nobody past saving. Nobody beyond saving. He saved one of the most powerful, ruthless leaders ever. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. And he delighted in turning people's houses into dung heaps. That was always his threat. Do what I say, I'll turn your house into a dung heap after I kill you. But God had one for him, didn't he? He gives his own testimony in Daniel 4. He says, I want to share my story with you that truly there's only one God, the creator God, and I am not him, and I worship him. Let me tell you how that happened. You see his testimony, how God brought him down to nothing to restore him as a believer. God can do that. And then verse seven remind them of their inheritance verse seven so that being justified by his grace we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life listen no matter what anybody takes from you steals from you the government taxes you they cannot touch your inheritance and we can when we understand that we can joyfully accept the seizure of all of our goods Because our Father is rich. He can restore it, or we can just send it on to glory. In Luke 16, we we get this this little window into God's idea and Jesus' instruction about riches. He talked about that unjust steward, remember? The guy was kind of a cheater. Now, that was the normal way you did business. If you were a king or a rich man, you had a guy that could cheat for you. He was a sharp businessman, you might call him today. He knew how to just cheat a little bit, adjust the scales, so it always favored his boss. Well, I I think it's Psalm 101 that David said, no, 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 I'm not going to have that kind of cheater in my house. I don't need somebody else to bless me. God will take care of me. The principle of a righteous man is that he swears to his own hurt because we know that God can do that again. He can bring it back years ago there's a fella that did some work for me he was in our church occasionally and he totally ripped me off now i could get even or but just what i did was i just said "Hmm," and it's not because i'm so wonderful but the holy spirit you know for me following the lord is kind of like being a cattle shoot i don't know about you but it's like I'm hedged about on both ways and I got the Holy Spirit with a cattle prod behind going, go this way. So people say, I'm so thankful you've been faithful all these years, Pastor. Well, I got one way to go. Not like a big option for me, you know. The Bible says this, thus saith the Lord, that's the way I want to go. Now I fail, I stumble. But it's not like I've got all these options that people got to talk me into obedience. No, thus saith the Lord, that's it. said, well, the Lord will take care of him. And Lord, take care of us. So they up your taxes to pay for a school building that they're going to teach things that are contrary to your faith. That's no big deal. It's not a big deal. You have an opportunity to vote on those things, but but it doesn't matter. I was telling my buddy Courtney, he's a salesman, and sometimes you get in a sales situation, it gets to be kind of cutthroat, you know. And he was kind of under the load one day because just the end of the situation, I said, Court, you understand, you have an unfair advantage. Said, What's that? He had just started, he felt like he was at the bottom of the swamp. so Well, the most important thing is you belong to God, and secondly, your pastor prays for you. You have an unfair advantage. He said, Oh, I never thought of that. Well, that's those principles of, of rock that we can crawl up on and go, Oh, that's right. God said he's going to take care of me. I don't have to worry about what that guy does or the deal that I have to make. It doesn't matter. God's taking care of me. He said, we read this morning, he provides a banquet for us in the presence of our enemies. They can't take our joy if we don't let them. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So Jesus goes on back there in Luke 16 to talk about this unjust steward who was cheating people for his boss. And I think he might have started cheating his boss. Anyway, the boss said, you're fired, but so arrange your books. So he thought to himself, I'm I'm too old to dig now. What am I going to do? I need to make sure people have nice feelings about me. So when I need a place to sleep, they're welcome to let me sleep at their place. So it goes back to a fellow, he says, How much do you owe my boss? He said, Well, 100 measures of wheat. He said, Write down 50. He goes, Another guy, how many? 80, write down 40. He just cut their bills in half. And everybody's like, Whoa! And Jesus said about that guy, The children of this world of darkness are many times wiser than the children of light when it comes to money. And then he said this, So use your things. So that when you get to heaven, there'll be people to welcome you into eternal dwellings. What was he saying? The purpose of your business, the purpose of the wealth that God puts in your hands, is not just so you can live easily and die down in Miami someplace. Saddest place I ever saw. I was a youth pastor in Rockford, and we took our trip, kids on a senior trip, and we're driving down what they call the Gold Coast, and there's... High tower after high tower of of, of retirement places and just rows, I mean multiple rows on the sidewalk with old people sitting there waiting to die. Whew, sad. There was their whole goal in life so they could have a nice retirement down in Miami away from New York. Huh. have this opportunity to live our life for that which is counts and jesus says listen use your stuff so when you get to heaven there's people there because you use your things so that people would hear jesus christ so that people would be welcomed into your home that you'd have money to give to missionaries that that people would share the gospel with them around the world that's what's important Jesus said don't don't invest in this world where moth and rust corrupts and thieves break through and steal invest for eternity and then he said this. This is really something. He said, so if you can't be faithful with that which is not your own. See, anything that's here, your money, what you call your money, your car, your house, your stuff, your retirement. The Bible says not yours. You're just a steward of it. And God is watching his children to see, are they faithful with the stewardship I've given them? Which makes it really easy. So you guys, one day you get married, right? And you just got this great truck, this hot rod. And the wife backs out, and she dents it. You know the cool thing about it? You can say, hey, Lord, did you see what she did to your car? It's easier, isn't it? When, when somebody else dents their car, you're like, oh, that's too bad. Sorry you got that dent in your new car. Everything we have here is not ours. We're just stewards. God's saying, how are you dealing with stewardship? One day you're going to give an account. Were you faithful with what God put in your hands? Or you say, like, oh, no, no. I, I, don't, I don't really need to tithe. I know that 10 is more than nine, so I'll just keep it all, I'll reinvest it for myself, rather than just with a free hand, coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I love you. I love you. There you go. The Lord says, I want you to give to this over there, and you go, oh, that's too much. That must be the devil. No, no, we live with open hands, because God wants us to be cheerful givers, hilarious givers, because that's who he is. And we can learn that. The Bible says if you're faithful with that which is not your own, then one day he's going to give you the eternal riches which belong to you. Why? Because you can handle them now. You can handle them. So what are you sending on to glory? Don't fret about what they take away here, what things cost here. Be faithful. Lay up treasure in heaven. No one can take that reserve away from you. And and lastly, verse 8, remind them about what's really important. Remind them. He says, all these things, the fact that your inheritance got to be taken away. This is a faithful statement. And concerning these things, Titus, I want you to speak confidently. I want you to put people in the right perspective about what is worth. And what they ought to be living for. And how they ought to be demonstrating grace in spite of hatred. So that those who believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. The last line. These things are good and profitable for men. See, you may be the only letter of God's love that people will read. They're watching. You don't think they are, but they are. They found out where you go to church. They found out you claim to be a Christian, and they're going to watch how you handle trials. They're going to watch. Is God's word the law for you, or is it just kind of an option, a little suggestion? When things get tight, you explode just like they do. You get under the load just like they do. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.15, he said, when you're under trial, because fiery trials are coming, be ready then to give an answer. That all that ask about the hope, because what they saw was hope, what they saw was grace, and they say, what is that? How can you have peace in this trial? And you say, well, that's Jesus. That's God's grace in my life. That's not me being stronger, that's just God's grace. To remind them about their main job, 2 Corinthians five twenty. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, Be reconciled to God. Paul was being challenged. He didn't come with letters of recommendations like the other big shots did. And he said, I don't need a recommendation. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human life. No matter how dark things might be, we can live in joy. He sets a banquet table in the presence of our enemies. Our cup runs over. Lost people's lives are worth it. That's what He called us for to return grace and love when all they know is hatred, because that's all they can do. God loves you, nobody can take away your inheritance. It's not just about here and now. That's not the finish line when you die. For us as God's children, it's forever and ever and ever. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for this rock that we can climb up on, see our responsibilities, and then once again be reminded of the great hope and the great power we have in our hands just to share the love of Christ with people. His forgiveness because he's paid the price. And Lord, we know we're not saved because we did good works. We're saved because of your work. Because of your finished work on the cross. Oh Lord, give us grace that we might live that out in our time, and our place. That we might be found faithful. And give us wisdom as a people in our country. To live that way.